I ask you, if you will, to turn your Bibles to John's Gospel, John chapter 20. I'm going to do my best not to mess this up. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, choir. Thank you, everyone. Uh, it's good to be worshiping the Lord today. We're thankful. We're thankful for this opportunity again. As we gather here today, I uh, really have one simple objective. One simple objective. That's to proclaim the one who has not only died for us, but is alive. The one who said, I have authority to lay my life down. And I have authority to take it up again. And so we praise God today that we have gathered in this place because our Savior exercised his authority and not only gave his life for us, but rose again on the third day to prove that everything he said, everything he ever did was true. And so as we gather here today, as we get in this place to worship him and to praise him, we're thankful that he took his life up again. And like many lessons we've learned over the past year, we take nothing for granted anymore, right? The opportunity to be in one room together singing praise just like we have done this morning is not something we can simply say, this happens all the time or this happens every year because it doesn't. This is a gift to us, a blessing, a privilege to be able to gather this side of heaven with other saints that know the power of the name of Christ and are able to proclaim it. So we want to consider the resurrection this morning and we want to look to John's gospel as we've been doing over the last few weeks from John's gospel chapter 20. We're going to see the report here that John gives of that first Sunday morning, that morning whenever some of the ladies went to the tomb. In John chapter 20, starting in verse 1, it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must first rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We praise you that Christ Jesus is alive. And those of us who are here who have confessed with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in our heart that God raised us from the dead, we together with one voice this morning proclaim nothing but our Savior the hope of the nations, the joy of every believer, the one who has demonstrated his love for us in such a way as it overflows into our life and everything we do. God, we're thankful for Christ. 
I'm thankful for John who was baptized earlier, God. I'm thankful that you have not stopped working in our midst. And I believe, God, I believe that this morning you are working on hearts just like you did in the first service. You're working on hearts even now, Father, to help them see and know not only the love of Jesus, the one who died for them, but also the one who reigns victorious over death and sin. To give Each and every one of us, Father, a a hope and a faith and a love that we can hold dear to, even in the midst of difficulty. God, we thank you for Christ. It's him we proclaim and nothing else this morning. In Jesus we pray. Amen. As Jesus died on a Friday just before sunset, which would have been the Jewish Sabbath, if you will, Joseph of Arimathea, seeing this problem, how Jesus was dying and they needed to to deal with his body quickly, he went privately to Pilate, the scripture says, and he asked Pilate for the body. For Joseph had just hewn out a tomb in a nearby garden so they could get from Golgotha to that tomb quickly. So he asked asked for the body, and even though the Jews uh, didn't want that to happen, Pilate gave it to him. Not able to complete the burial process or procedure before nightfall, they rolled a stone, a heavy stone, the scripture says, in front of the entrance. The next day, as some of the council that had put Jesus to death and put him on trial were there, they came to Pilate and they said, Hey, Pilate, this is on Saturday. Hey, Pilate. This man, Jesus, kept talking about how he'll come back from the dead. He's going to be raised again on the third day. So we're afraid that some of his disciples may go in there and steal his body, or somebody may take him. So let's put some some soldiers out in front of this tomb. And Pilate said, do as you want to. And the tomb stayed like that. Heavy stone, soldiers out in front of it. It stayed like that until early the next morning. As our scripture says, just like all the other gospel accounts, just like all the other gospel accounts, it tells us that the ladies were the first witnesses to the resurrection. Mary Magdalene is the one in our passage who goes there first, even before the sun comes up and and she gets there, going to finish what they started on Friday night and get it ready. When she gets there, she finds something that disturbs her. She gets there and she sees that the stone has been rolled away. Not knowing what to do, she just quickly turns and she runs. She runs to Simon Peter, it says. She gets to Simon Peter and she says, They have taken our Lord from the tomb and we do not know where they laid him. Peter, there along with the one who Jesus loved. Everybody knows this to be John, another disciple, John the disciple who wrote this gospel. John probably was a lot younger as Peter and John say, here, we've heard this report, let's go check it out. And they begin to run together. We all know John's a lot younger probably because he outruns Peter. That's okay. In fact, I love how John reports that. I beat him. (laughs) Got there faster than he did. So Peter and John get there, but John doesn't go in. Peter does. Peter's... Peter enters into the tomb. And when he gets there, he finds the linens with no body in it. Not only that, it tells us that he finds the face covering. 
This is not a grave that's been ransacked or a body that's been stolen. This person got up out of this grave confident and calm. Folding the clothes and laying them to the side. Peter and John don't know what to do with this. What's happened? What could be true here? And I love what it says. The disciples went back to their homes. I mean, what do you do when you go to the tomb of, of Jesus and you find it empty? Let's just go to the house. But you know Peter was contemplating this. Thinking about it. What all is going on? The week that has come. And you know there was some consternation, if you will, for Peter. For just a, a few days before, the Lord was washing his feet. Peter tried to object. The Lord said, if I don't wash you, you're not going to be clean, Peter. Then wash my whole body, Lord. Just a few days before, at the Lord's Supper, the Lord had broken bread with them and told him his body will be broken, his blood will be shed, it'll be for them. And Peter saw Judas run out and go out and betray the Lord. Just a few days before, he had heard the, the Lord together telling them about the power of the Spirit and all that's going to happen coming. He'd also heard as they went to the garden that Jesus told all of his disciples, including Peter, you will all fall away. You will all fall away. Jesus says you will all fall away, but after I'm raised, I'll go before you to Galilee. Peter did not even blink at the statement, didn't even think about after I'm raised part. He heard you will all fall away. And Peter jumped at this, rebuked the Lord. This idea that the disciples will fall away, they might. But Peter said, even though they all fall away, I will not, Lord. I will not fall away. Jesus, knowing how he had some pity on Peter, quickly responds, truly I tell you, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter, again, livid at this idea, emphatically claimed, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you, Lord. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. We know what happened next, right? Jesus was arrested. Judas came into the garden, kissed him on the cheek. The soldiers took him. Peter tried to put up a fight, but realized that wasn't what's going to happen. They take Jesus over to the high priest, to the temple, to the, the place where they would put him on trial. And as they do, the disciples who all ran off at that moment kind of come in quietly behind, hiding out. Outside in the courtyard where the trial was going on inside, Peter's standing there looking on from a distance. And this little servant girl, it says, comes up to him and says, you were with Jesus, didn't you? Weren't you? Didn't we see you with Jesus? And Peter looks at her and says, I don't know what you mean. Then at the entrance of that trial, he goes up a little bit closer to get a better view. And another servant girl comes up. This man was with Jesus. Peter amped it up by this time, screaming and swearing an oath and saying, I do not know this man. More bystanders come up, and after hearing them talk, they come up to Peter because he's got this Galilean accent. And they say, hey, Peter, hey, man, aren't you with him? Aren't you from that same area? Weren't you with Jesus? Didn't we see you with him? Peter, again, 
began to curse himself and say, I do not know this man. The one who had just said, even if I've got to die with you, I will not deny you, Lord. I will never deny you. Now to two servant girls and a couple bystanders, it says, I do not know him. And immediately the rooster crows. Peter remembers exactly what the Savior said, what Jesus had said just a few hours before. And I'm sure as Peter remembered that, as he thought about the fact that he just told me I was going to deny him, I said I wouldn't, but now I've done it three times. I'm sure Peter looks over at Jesus, and the Scripture says Jesus was looking at him. That next verse, that next verse says, Peter ran away weeping bitterly. Consider it. He just said he wouldn't deny him. He just said he wouldn't do it. He went away weeping bitterly, having realized that he who made a promise he would never deny Jesus has denied him three times. Then he watched Jesus beaten. He watched him go to a mock trial. He watched them cry out for Barabbas, not Jesus. He watched him carry his own cross up the mountain, have to, have to get someone else to help him with it. He watched him there suffer and die on that cross. And he watched him take him down. Could you imagine the pain, the heartache, the sorrow that Peter felt? Only to get up on Sunday morning and go to the tomb. Could it be? Could it be that everything he said is true? Could it be that at that moment it clicked in Peter when Jesus said, all of you are going to fall away, but after I'm raised from the dead, I'll see you again. Could it be at that moment that at that, at that time, everything started to click and Peter's hopes started to sparkle. His, his sorrow began to, to fade just a little bit. Could it be that Jesus is truly alive? That evening, as the disciples are taking notes, he'd already appeared to some on the road to Damascus and to others. The disciples are talking about it. The ladies had come back. Once they heard, notice what the ladies did. Once they saw the empty tomb, what's the first thing they did? They went and told somebody about it. Amen. Y'all should learn that lesson. And here, here they're taking notes and they're, they're writing it down and they're jotting and they're, they're talking about it. Could it be what has happened? Maybe running through all the things Jesus said. Maybe trying to piece this thing together. And just at that moment, Jesus appears in their midst. And he says, peace. Whatever turmoil you may have, whatever sorrow you may be dealing with, whatever pain, whatever heartache, it's over. Peace. And Jesus tells them everything they need to know. Starting with Moses and going through the Psalms and going through the prophets. He lays it all out there for them. And Jesus shows his disciples exactly, exactly what the scripture says and exactly now how he has fulfilled it. He teaches them everything they need to know about who he is and what he has done. But Peter, in that passage, doesn't get any alone time with Jesus. He's there with his disciples and he comes in and then Jesus leaves again. I know Peter's waiting on that time where he can have that conversation. I know he's waiting on that confrontation, if you will, where he could speak to Jesus one-on-one, -on -one, maybe even tell him he's sorry. Hoping Jesus would accept him back again. A few days later, 
John tells how Peter's just sitting around waiting for Jesus to come and to appear to them again. So Peter looks at Thomas and Nathaniel, James and John, a couple other disciples, and said, I'm going fishing. Amen. And I love this scene. John tells us about it in chapter 21. The disciples go out fishing at night. They caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples, the other disciples came by boat, dragging the net full of fish. When Peter finally sees Christ over on the shore and he sees that's Jesus, he doesn't have time to wait on the boat to get there. His opportunity has come, and now, now he gets that chance, and he girds himself up, and he dives into the water, and he swims as hard as he can to get to Jesus as fast as he can. And there on the shore, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I do. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I do. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I do. And there on the shore, Peter and Christ restored after this. And that last time, Jesus looks at Peter. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but you were old. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And Paul, I mean, excuse me, John tells us that this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. In other words, Jesus restores Peter Shows that love for him and that care for him. And then he says, Peter, you're going to die for me. You're going to die for me. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. What a scene. Just like the first time the Lord called Peter, right? He was fishing and the Lord walked by and said, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. But this time it means even more. This time it's even greater because this isn't just some Galilean uh, carpenter from Nazareth walking by the shore saying, follow me at this point for Peter. Now this is proven to be the son of God, the resurrected king of kings and Lord of lords. And now that one is standing there and he's saying to Peter, follow me even to your death. And Peter's response this time is, yes, Lord. Peter would never deny him again. Peter becomes great evidence of the resurrection. In Acts chapter 2, it's Peter that gets up and stands and preaches the beginning of the church as the Holy Spirit falls. It's there when he says, the one whom you crucified God raised from the dead. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are walking to the synagogue and as they walk by, they see the lame man and they look at him and say, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I do have, I freely give in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. The lame man got up and walked and that miracle got them an appointment before the council. What's going on here? We put Jesus to death. We killed him and you're still talking about him. 
And here is Peter who denied Jesus just a couple months before to two servant girls and a couple bystanders. And now he's standing before Caiaphas, the one who put Jesus to death, the one who orchestrated this whole deal to give the 30 pieces of silver to Judas and get him to betray him, the one who forced Pilate's hand to make him kill Jesus and put him on the cross. He's standing before Caiaphas and the whole council. And you think this time, the man who was scared before little servant girls and bystanders, you think this time he'd be scared. Peter stands up and says, let me go ahead and let y'all know something, right? The one whom you crucified, you counsel, y'all made a ruling. God overruled your ruling. Jesus is alive. And Peter says, now not only is he alive, there is salvation in no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And they said, if you keep talking like this, Peter, we're going to kill you. And Peter said, kill me if you want to. I cannot keep talk, stop from talking about Christ. What changed in Peter's life? He went to that empty tomb. What changed for him from denying Christ to proclaiming Christ? What changed from him from fearing death, even being recognized with Jesus that he may be put on trial, to standing before the very ones and saying, kill me if you wish, I cannot stop proclaiming Christ. Peter went to the empty tomb and he knew everything Jesus ever said and did is true. And he knew, though you slay me, yet shall I praise you. And he knew if they were to take his life, no one can do that because Jesus is the life and the resurrection. He knew that in Christ he had everything. The resurrection changed everything for Peter. So when Peter writes his first letter, if you will, he fight, writes his first letter, 1 Peter. He wants to make this point from the very beginning. You can turn with me, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter shows what the resurrection means. When he writes his first letter here to exiles, to Gentiles really, who are being persecuted. They believe, but they're being persecuted. So he writes this letter to them. In chapter 1, verse 3, he begins with this powerful statement. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter is one more than any other that knew what the resurrection meant. Peter is one more than any other that knew what not only this meant for him, but he knows what it means for the whole world. And here he speaks to these Gentiles who are going through difficulty, and he begins, praise God, praise God for his great mercy, because we have a new life. 
We have a new life. We've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. Peter is saying that because of the resurrection, we have a living hope. And it's not just because he lives that we have hope. It's because he lives that we live. We live because he lives. We're alive today because Jesus has conquered death. And Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I've come to give you life and life to the fullest. You believe in me, you have eternal life. When Jesus died on the cross, it was the end of Peter's hopes. Only bitter sorrow, surely. No new day could change that. Nothing the world could offer could could take Peter out of his despair. The only thing that could take it out of his despair is when he saw the resurrected Savior. And there, and there alone, he placed his hope. He says, our hope is in Christ who's given us an inheritance. Something we look forward to, right? And that inheritance is imperishable. It never runs out. It's never taxed. It's never waning. It's never going to be coming to an end for all eternity. It is fresh and new every day. That inheritance we have in Christ never perishes. It is undefiled. It will not spoil. Just like the things of this world that that moth and rust destroy, Paul says. Not the inheritance we have in Christ. It never fades out. It never spoils. It never goes rotten. It is always fresh and it is always good. We have an inheritance that is unfading, never wears out, never gets tired. It's just as bright on day one as it is on day 10,001. We have this hope that has been kept by God for us, Peter says. This is our hope. It is not in this world. You can search anywhere. You can find, try to find that hope in any other thing. You can look for it anywhere you want to look, but it can't be found anywhere else. Try it. Test it. But Peter's saying, don't test it for long. Don't test it too long. Because if you try to find your hope somewhere else, if you try to find your hope in some other thing, it may run out. Time may stop. And he's telling us today that the hope that you long for can only be found in Christ. This is a living hope because it's not in a thing. It's not in a place. It's in a person. And that's Jesus Christ. Because of the resurrection, we have a hope that is found in Christ. A living hope. Because of the resurrection, we also have a precious faith. A precious faith. Speaking of grounding our hope in a person, our faith must be grounded in a person. I think one of the problems we have too often is we put our faith in our faith. We, we like to think that, that salvation or our Christian life goes by how we feel about it that day. Whether or not we feel it. Whether or not we, we can say it's there and we have some sort of emotional pull. But what we recognize is our faith is not in our faith. Our faith is in Jesus Christ who died for us and rose again. And when we put our faith there, he never fails us. 
He's never fleeting from us. And I can promise you, if all of, if you have faith this morning, however big it may be, however small it may be, I can promise you you have faith that this world is not everything, that there is a life to come. And the only way we know that life, true life, is by trusting and believing in Jesus Christ. If you have an ounce of that faith, you could have all the world before you offered up and that wouldn't be enough. You'd never want to give it up. Because eternity is forever. And everything this world has is defiled and it's fading, passing away. But not Christ. Not Christ. Our faith must be in Him. And when our faith is in Him, that leads us to to pass through these difficult trials. That leads us to pass through these difficult moments. Here is what he says. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold. Peter is saying, because of what Christ has done through the resurrection, we can trust him. We can put our faith in him. And that faith is more precious than gold to us. We'll never trade anything else for it. It is a precious faith that helps us to persevere in every trial, help us to persevere in every suffering. It helps us to keep going in the midst of a world that's tiring. Because of the resurrection, we persevere in praise. We persevere in worship until Jesus returns, Peter says. But not only that, Because of the resurrection, we can know what true enduring love is. Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Peter's writing to his readers, reflecting on Christ Jesus and the love that they have for him. Though his readers haven't seen him. And in that way, isn't that a testimony to us today? Peter had seen him. Peter, of course, is an eyewitness of this. He's seen the Lord. He's seen his love. He has seen Jesus' love portrayed, and he knows the love he has for him. In fact, I'm sure pictures comes to Jesus, uh, Peter's mind whenever he thinks about this. He remembers Jesus in Capernaum when he came over to eat at Peter's mother-in-law's house. He remembers that, that incident on the, on the sea where Peter probably didn't like to talk about it until he found out Jesus is alive, right? Where he jumped out the boat and began to sink, but Peter saved, uh, Jesus saved him. He remembers Jesus at Mount Transfiguration when he saw him in all of his glory and the Father said, this is my son. Peter probably remembers clearly when Jesus washed his feet. I'm sure Peter remembers when when Jesus and him locked eyes right after he had denied him for the third time. Peter remembers Jesus on the cross. He saw him there. He remembers that empty tomb. And Peter definitely remembers Jesus on the shore of the sea that day where he was restored. Peter had seen Jesus and loved him. And here he celebrates all of those, all the more of those who who have not seen him but believe by the power of the Spirit and the witness of the apostles. Peter was an eyewitness to this. Some 500, the scripture says, saw him. 
And Peter says, not only can I testify that that tomb was empty and Jesus was alive, not only can I testify that, I can testify that he is alive now and working in your hearts. And so though you haven't seen him, you love him. And because you love him, your love endures all things. It goes through all things and it spills out from you to others. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith because of who Christ is, because he was raised again. You have a living hope, a precious faith, an enduring love that you have received. And though we do not see him, and we do not see him now, we shall see him. Because love endures. And just as the love that Christ had for us when he went to the cross was more powerful than anything we can know, that same love will bring him back for us again. Peter says, all of this, all of this is true because Jesus is alive. We can have a living hope because Jesus is alive. We can have a precious faith to us because Jesus is alive. We can know what true, enduring love is because Jesus is alive. Maybe this morning, you're just like Peter. Peter at that tomb that day. Maybe you've denied Jesus. You've heard about him. You have even maybe said at one time you trusted him. Even maybe been in church at some point. But now, when you look at your life, not only are you denying him with your lips, you're denying him with your life. But you still, whether you deny him or not, you still have to deal with that empty tomb. And when Peter went there that day, all the emotions and all the heartache and all the pain, there, that tomb was empty. And Peter knew that day, every ounce that he had, every bit of life and breath that was still in him, the moment he can flee to Christ and he can hug his neck again, the moment he can run to him and call for his forgiveness, he will, for he's alive. He's alive. And if that's true, if the tomb is empty, as Peter testifies to as well as other eyewitnesses, if the tomb is empty, then I urge you to listen to Peter this morning. There's your hope. There's where faith is found. There is true love on display for you. My question then is, do you see the resurrected Savior? Do you see him this morning? Maybe just like Peter saw him on the seashore. Maybe just like Peter saw him from a distance. Do you see him standing there, the one who is alive, the King of kings and Lord of lords? Do you see him and know that he's true and know that it's real? Do you see him this morning having dealt with the empty tomb? Do you know that it's still empty and that Christ Jesus is alive? And you see him there. Then by all means, by all means, respond just like Peter responded. I ain't got time to wait on the boat. I'm getting to him as fast as I can. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe some of you need to do just that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for a living Savior.
one who has done everything for us. And here today, Father, that living Savior is calling us. And I pray, God, that as we gather in this space, my heart, Father, leaps out, longing for everyone in this room, every single person, man, woman, and child in this place to know, to know our resurrected King, Jesus Christ. But I know some, Father, some may still be denying Him. Help them to see today through the power of your Spirit, the glory of the one who's done it all. Help them to see today through the power of your Spirit, our resurrected Savior, Father. And we who pray to you, who worship you, who proclaim you, we are not fools, for you are alive. And we recognize through your life, we have life. I pray everyone knows that in this place. Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you today, Father, that we can have a true and living hope, a faith that is more precious to us than gold and a love that endures all things. We thank you for what Christ has done for us. May we rejoice in him and him alone. As we stand together and sing, consider today, maybe you are like Peter. You need to deal with that empty tomb. You need to deal with a resurrected king. And I'm not real interested in you simply believing the evidences of the resurrection. I'm interested in you believing in the Christ of the resurrection. Maybe today that's you and you need to flee to him as you see him there. Join our church. Be a part of us as we proclaim Jesus. Let's stand together and sing of what he's done for us.